This is an Area Code podcast. Hi, I'm Amy Simmons. And I'm Crispin Mayfield. And welcome to the Attached to the Invisible podcast. All right, so this week we're going to talk about ambivalent, preoccupied, anxious attachment. I just threw together a few different terms, <laughs> but if you recognize any of those, that's what we're talking about today. They all fall into one beautiful, anxious category. Right, yeah, <laughs> exactly. And this is one of the insecure attachment styles. Yeah. So if you have secure attachment, bully for you. Uh, if you don't... <laughs> Then it's a choose-your-own-adventure where you get to choose. You don't actually choose. That's not how that works. No. (laughs) Don't put that on the people, Crispin. No. You end up with a particular strategy. Yeah. Um, And the two main ones um, are avoidant um, or preoccupied. There are other terms for those. Yeah. Um, And then there's also disorganized. Um, And one thing that I think is really important about all of these strategies is just recognizing that we all use these strategies at different times. Mm -hmm. So you may like be dominant in one, but like I remember reading the book Attached that goes through these like, that's basically like labeling people. And I was like, but I do all these things. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I really like calling them strategies that really hits on like the social worker values of mine Mm -hmm. of being strengths based and remembering that people are doing things. You're doing things, dear listener Mm -hmm. for reasons, right? We're trying to accomplish something. And even if that's not the most productive or straightforward route, we're often Mm -hmm. using the skills that we've been given, Mm -hmm. which is very, very true in attachment, right? You, you, Crispin sort of hit on that, where we're given an attachment style through our experiences, and then that's what we use. I always talk about, I work a lot with teenagers, and we talk about this idea of scripting with Mm -hmm. teenagers, which is exactly what it sounds like, and that essentially means, for those of you who aren't familiar, that teenagers just bounce back to what they've seen done. Mm -hmm. Um, And so often we will get our attachment styles or our coping skills or our strategies for maneuvering life just from the things that we see around us. Um, And it makes sense. I think we talked about this a bit last time where it's not uncommon for, say, an anxious attachment parent to pass on anxious attachment Uh to their kid, right? Right. And it very much works that way when we get to be older and maybe go like, well, this isn't working for me. Mm -hmm. We have the strategies that we can see around us, which is one good reason why if you have young people in your life who are struggling, that it's good for them to spend time with people uh, who have different sets of skills, Mm -hmm. Um, especially if you're a parent who's recognizing sort of your own maybe difficulty with attachment strategies or Mm -hmm. your own trauma. That's a encouragement um, Mm -hmm. to introduce your kids to other types of people (laughs) (laughs) because it gives them a more diverse pool of skills and strategies to pull from. Mm -hmm. But we're going to focus in on anxious, ambivalent, preoccupied today. Right. Yeah. So why are they called all those things? I feel like that's a helpful, like making it a little more tangible. Yeah. So uh, in children, it's... uh, it's ambivalent. It's anxious ambivalent. Anxious ambivalent. Um, and for the nerds out there, the reason that it's anxious 
is because they wanted to draw on some psychodynamic Freudian uh, theory, actually. That's the reason that they threw anxious in there. Not because it's like an anxiety disorder. Right, exactly. Um, But, yeah, really it's – so preoccupied, we'll we'll start there, which is what you call adults. We'll get to the ambivalent part later. Okay, deal. Um, So preoccupied is basically because – you are so preoccupied on your relationship, mm-hmm. on this attachment, that you can't really focus on other things. Yeah. Right? And there's a reason for that. And, and actually, as we were talking about strategies, they are not bad strategies. They are actually the best strategy mm. for your family. Yeah. Okay. Right? Yeah. If you had done something else, it probably wouldn't have gone well. Or maybe you tried and it didn't, and so yeah. you learned that this worked. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, as kids, yeah. like we try lots and lots of different ways to maintain connection with our mm-hmm. parents. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those that are preoccupied, they learn that, like, my parent isn't really cued into me. Okay. Right? Um, and so I need to make sure, I need to keep their attention. Yeah. Right? And so I need to, like, make sure that I keep an eye on them. Yep. Um, and I need to like, it's my job to maintain the connection with them. I can't trust that I can just like go about my day Mm -hmm. and that they're going to like give me the support that I need. Yeah. So spending a lot of energy and thought space trying to maintain that connection. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and usually the reason that this, uh, attachment strategy cements is because it works. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, if, someone tried to do this, tried to be really preoccupied with a parent who was insistent on being avoidant or literally was not in the home, it, right. there wouldn't be any um, like biological payout, right? Because mm-hmm. that's what happens. That's a lot of how our neurobiology um, gets wired, right. is that there's some sort of biological payout of, okay, I obsess about how to make sure that mm-hmm. my parent is paying attention to me, and they do hug me more when that happens, mm-hmm. right? And so I'm getting that like actual bonding through right. this strategy. Right, yeah. And so that might be like I when I when I tell my mom like that I'm sad or I'm hurt or whatever, mm-hmm. right? Like if I do that a little bit, she doesn't really pay attention, but if I wail yep. or I throw myself on the floor, mm-hmm. right? And then she comes and picks me up and then mm-hmm. she pays attention. I learned that like if I'm going to be if I'm going to get the connection that I need, I need to make my emotions really big. Yes. Right? Um and then what we see with like infants is that they, because they're basically like, I'm not sure if my mom is going to stay there. I don't know if I can rely on her to really care for me, yeah. but I really need her. So if I'm in a room and uh, it's a little bit more complex than this, but if we simplify it, if I'm in a room, <laughs> I'm not going to go explore. I'm not going to go play because what if I go and do that and then I turn around and mom's not there? Yeah. I can't trust that she actually cares enough to stay connected to me. I have to make sure I have to make sure that I'm connected to her. So I'm going to sit there and I'm going to hold her skirt, mm-hmm. right? And I'm not going to go I'm not going to go play with the toys, I'm not going to talk to other mm-hmm. kids. And that's actually what happens is when you're in that anxious state, it actually makes it hard for you to learn, mm-hmm. makes it hard for you to like explore the world, just yeah. like go about your day because you're just thinking like, all right, I just need I need to be thinking all the time like are are we okay? Yeah, are we okay? And I think I was talking with someone earlier today and we were talking about, and maybe this leads us in, maybe we're not there yet, but yeah. um, to how some of this stuff can manifest in our adulthood. And mm-hmm. we were, were having one of those moments of like, oh yeah, you get it, uh-huh. um, of 
when you're raised in a home, right, where there's that kind of inconsistent care, mm-hmm. um, which isn't the reason for everyone's anxious attachment, no. right? Um, and also, just for worried parents, yeah. the, the threshold is like 30%. Mm-hmm. And I think we talked last time about yeah. rapture and repair. It, also keeping in mind that this, is, this isn't like, of course we don't pay attention to our kids all the time. Impossible. No. So That would be... Uh, maybe a preoccupied adult right. if you were 100% attentive. Right. An interesting thing I learned about attachment recently was talking about how when we're trying to foster healthy attachment, uh, one of the things we do is we don't overshadow or undershadow. That wasn't the way it was mm. phrased. They had a funner way of saying it, the way another person is feeling. Mm. Uh, so if you were a parent who was paying attention to your kid 100% of the time, mm-hmm. uh, that's not actually very emotionally responsive because even little kids, I think about my tiny roommate, he'll uh-huh. be in his room and be, we'll go in and be like, hey, you want to hang out? He'll be like, no, I would like to be alone, please. I'm right. like, you're three. Um, <laughs> it's very articulate of him. Right. But Everybody needs that space. So mm-hmm. the goal is not 100% attention on your child. Right. Sure. Um, so to just create some even extra breathing room mm-hmm. in that. There's this book called Attached um, yeah. that's helpful for people that are dating. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't recommend it for people that are married. There's hmm. another book for that. Oh, interesting. Um, which is Sue Johnson's book, Hold Me Tight. Mm. Is a good one for married couples. But they talk about this sixth, sixth sense for danger. Yeah. And that's it is like, I'm like attuned to like you, a problem in the relationship. And I'm going to like, actually people with anxious attachment, with this ambivalent attachment style, they have been shown to read facial cues quicker Mm -hmm. than other people that is like measured, but they also read them in the most negative way. Yeah. (laughs) So I see like your brow furrow a little bit Uh and then it's like, oh, you're mad at me. Yeah. Right, not like, oh, you're thinking about like a frustrating like car problem or something. Yeah, there's an intensity of emotional intelligence that comes with it Mm because you spent a whole life studying it, right? right? That Mm -hmm. makes sense that you'd have a lot of skill for it. Um, And probably a lot of us know how quickly that can cause issues in a relationship because, yeah, Mm -hmm. you're frustrated, but I'm ascribing meaning and direction Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. I can't possibly know from your facial expression, right? right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing, yeah, I, I always think it is, um, and I see this in myself often, is the like, are we okay? So it's like, it's quiet in the yes. car. Are we okay? Are we okay? And maybe that's, you don't say it out loud, but you're thinking <laughs> in your head. Or we're like... Um, oh, that's so real. <laughs> right, yeah. Or like, I sent you a text like three hours ago, and you haven't responded. Are we okay? Are we okay? Are we okay? Uh-huh, uh-huh. The like inevitable, like, yeah, I was just at work conversation. Right, uh-huh. <laughs> Yeah. I didn't check my phone. Right. Are you okay? Right. No. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> and this, these are people that they need constant reassurance. Mm-hmm. And the reason that they need constant reassurance is because they weren't actually able to trust their parent to be there. The yeah. only way that they knew that their parent was going to be there for them mm-hmm. is if they were there face-to-face in that moment. Yes. Whereas kids with secure attachment, it's like, I know you're not here right now, but I know if I need you, if I start like crying, like Mm -hmm. you're going to show up and be like, what's wrong? Yeah. But if I have a parent that is like really stressed out because of money all the time and I'm crying and they're so wrapped up in their own world, right, then I can't actually trust that you're going to be there when I need you. So if I sit next to you Mm -hmm. all the time, then I know you will be there. 
Yeah, and that's it's so interesting that you bring up the uh, I only know what's kind of what's in front of me is what's happening right. because that's a really interesting t- one to me because that's a strategy to move towards um, kind of healing your own attachments, right? Mm. This is something we talk about with people with anxious mm-hmm. attachments all the time is remember that only what's in front of you is what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have right. to kind of break it down simpler because often with anxious attachment, right? Well, what's in front of me is what's happening and all of the meaning I've given it. Right. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, so it's interesting that it's sort of similar to the baseline thing, which mm-hmm. often is something we do in all sorts of therapies and such as go way back to the root of it and go like, mm-hmm. well, I only know what you're telling me. And now right. I have to get good with that. Uh-huh. <laughs> right? I have right. to create yeah. some security uh-huh. in myself that right. like, yeah. we're going to be all right. right. And that is huge with people who have anxious attachment that has been um, created or compounded through trauma, Mm -hmm. right? Is remembering the, well, I once used these strategies Mm -hmm. to keep myself alive, or it felt like it, Mm -hmm. uh, depending on what the trauma was, and I actually don't need to do that anymore, Uh right? I can put down, this skill really served me, and I actually don't need it anymore Mm -hmm. in my current life, in this current relationship, at my job, what have you. Yeah. And what's so important about these strategies is that they develop before our words develop. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what's going on is it's like this body sensation of like, I don't know if I'm okay. I don't know if we are okay. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I'm having these sensations in my body that are telling me like, you need to check in. Yeah. Which is so hard. It's not, it's not just like a sinking air. Yeah. It's like kind of the way that you've been your whole life. And, like, being able to to observe, like, oh, these feelings are telling me this. Yeah. Um, and those feelings are there for a reason, but they're not really helpful now. Yeah. Um, or, like, um, I mean, I'm an EFT therapist, so I'm all about, like, going into the emotion. Yeah. Right? Like, <laughs> what is that emotion about? And it's like, oh, it's this emotion of, like, I need to know that I'm not alone. Yeah. And actually, like, by validating that and looking at that, we don't – then it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I – I can like reflect on the ways that I'm not alone in my life. But if it runs under the surface that I'm going to do these like kind of impulsive like check-ins without recognizing that's why I'm doing it. Yeah. And that highlights two big things. One is, and I've never thought about it this way until you were just saying it, which is in a lot of ways, our attachment style is one of the oldest things about who we are, right? Mm -hmm. It gets developed when we're so young. Um, So we talk about this with babies all the time, right? Of like when they start getting a personality, air quotes, Um, Uh which is a funny thing to say about a human person, but that's a whole other conversation. And our attachment style is like right in there, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's starting already, and it can change. Mm-hmm. Um, I think about that with foster parents, mm-hmm. right? There was right, a yeah. time in considering treatment and caring for foster kids where we were like, well, they're just screwed, kind mm-hmm. of, right? Like, not ultimately, we can still love kids and things like right, that, yeah. um, but we kind of talked about it in this idea where as relates to attachment, mm-hmm. they're just effed, um, and mm-hmm. I don't think that that's true, of course, right? Right. And there's so much of childhood where our brains and our experiences are still really flexible. Mm -hmm. Um, But you also meet people who had lovely childhoods after they were adopted, but that attachment healing didn't happen, and they're experiencing Mm -hmm. manifestations Mm -hmm. of that early attachment trauma way later, even though they don't remember any of it. You said something that I really appreciated, which is attachment 
strategies are not just thinking errors. And I think that that's such an interesting thing because no, they're not, right? But there's all of these sort of ways that we manifest our attachment, right? Our Mm -hmm. attachment does not necessitate a certain type of behavior, Mm -hmm. right? There are people who aren't texters who have anxious attachment. And so the idea of like texting your partner all the time to check in is not something that they relate to because that's not Mm -hmm. them, right? Um, Right. Or certain like manipulative tendencies that someone with an anxious attachment might have because of that like trying to be in tune mm-hmm. is not necessarily going to be true of someone else with an anxious attachment. Right. I think about for those of you who are interested in the Enneagram as an Enneagram 7 over here, uh-huh. um, I think about like Enneagram 7s totally come off as anxious attachment people and maybe most of us are. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, but that like kind of some of those like baseline Things of like, I want your attention, I want you to like me, mm-hmm. um, are totally tendencies that we see in anxious attachment, but not every anxious attachment person is going to be an Enneagram 7. So there's just right. sort of these things that loop in mm-hmm. and touch it, and we'll, we'll talk about those things, and that's not to say, for example, something we talked about in our first podcast um, is how, <laughs> theoretically, if borderline personality doesn't disorder doesn't exist, right? It Mm -hmm. looks a lot like anxious attachment strategies, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And when you get more strengths-based and trauma-informed with borderline personality disorder, that's what you see, Mm -hmm. right? You see a person who's trying to get needs met and has a set Mm -hmm. of skills to do it that Mm -hmm. have honestly been pretty effective, Mm -hmm. right? Especially um, a lot of people who get diagnosed with BPD, are people who are often seen as very charismatic by those mm. who know them on a shallower level. Uh-huh. And then the problems come in when relationships get more deep. Right. Um, when the stress comes on, because yeah. during stress that our strategy attach or our attachment strategies come out. Yeah. Um, and so I just think that yeah. some of those things are interesting and worth highlighting to think about. Yeah. There's certain things that there's going to be a higher rate of people with this experience who do this thing. Mm-hmm. But there's all of these ways that it manifests for us. Yeah. And one thing about people, as we're talking about um, this uh, preoccupied ambivalent attachment, um, these are people that are clingy often. Um, And, but it's, uh, the the solution isn't to just be okay on your own. Thank you. Um, Yes. Yes. The solution, and I can speak most of this in terms of couples, Yeah. right? It's actually like secure attachment isn't being okay all the time. Yeah. Secure attachment is that in childhood when I was feeling sad or insecure or scared, I could go to my parent and they would reassure me. Yes. Right? And and so for couples, it's actually um, a lot of times it's the person learning to go to their partner and be like, hey... I'm feeling kind of insecure right now, mm-hmm. um, and I just need to know that you like me. Yeah. Right, which is different than, like, blowing up your phone all afternoon. Yes. Or different than, like, I w- like a lot of times people with uh, ambivalent attachment will, um, they'll sort of look to behaviors, or um, yeah. they'll be like, if you really love me, you would make me feel this way. Yes. And so it's <laughs> like, now I'm really mad at you because you didn't, clean the house when I asked you to, if you really clean the house, then I would know that you loved me. Yeah. Right. And which would inevitably not work, but right. Yeah, no, exactly. (laughs) But that's, that's what, what plays out. And that's different than like, Hey, I know that you like, 
you know, or even saying like, I came home, the house was still a mess and it did make me wonder, like, you know, I felt this insecurity come up and I just need to know that we're okay. Yeah. And then it's like, yeah, we're okay. And it's like, okay, well then, then, then the house being a mess doesn't have to be a fight about like, are we okay? Yes. It can just be a fight about like, how do we make sure that the house gets cleaned? <laughs> and it can still be a fight. That's okay. Right. Uh- <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And I think that's, we idealize certain forms of functioning mm-hmm. because we have a cultural context. Right. Yeah. Um, in America, right? Part mm-hmm. of our cultural context is individualism, mm-hmm. right? So it would be I don't I don't need you. Mm-hmm. Right. So it makes sense that a lot of people jump to that as the goal when they're like, I don't right. like these behaviors I have. I don't like mm-hmm. these ways I try to get my need met. So I'm just gonna lean really hard on this is a big trend right now. I'm just going to lean really hard on self-love. I don't need anyone else to Mm -hmm. love me. It's like, I'm sorry. Actually, you do. Um, You're actually wired in your DNA by nature of being a human being to like, actually, you do need other people to love you. Mm -hmm. Now, that doesn't have to manifest as a certain type of relationship. Um, I think we, as a society, really undervalue platonic friendship Mm -hmm. that can meet a huge number of Mm -hmm. our needs to be cared for and seen. Um, not to undervalue marriage either. I think right. also a beautiful, beautiful institution that does a lot of great work for people. Um, I think a lot of the reason I'd be interested in your couples therapist mm-hmm. opinion on this. I think a lot of the reason theoretically that a lot of people do this attachment work when they get into a marriage is because it's a situation that they have to stick around for mm-hmm. on some mm-hmm. level. Right. right. Mm-hmm. Um, even if you're a person who's open to the idea of divorce, you know, Right. With irreconcilable differences, you still have lives intertwined with each other. There's social right. pressure. There's all sorts of external motivators to make mm-hmm. this relationship work, right. which is something we don't have with someone we're not um, legally bound to, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so a lot of that, I would theorize that a lot of that work happens in those relationships right. um, for that very reason, right? There's mm-hmm. something else kind of forcing us to face these strategies instead of, well, I'll just bounce to the next person, right? Because mm-hmm. right? especially with anxious attachment, it can really work for a while, mm-hmm. right? right yeah. um, mm-hmm. Lots of people totally are happy doesn't. in a codependent situation right. for a while. Um, right. It works until it doesn't. Uh-huh. Whereas avoidant, I think it just kind of starts out not working and you have to be someone who's like, I didn't really need this to work, right? Like, right, <laughs> whatever yeah. That is. right, yeah. Well, avoidant, yeah, are really well known for like, all right, I don't need this, I'm going to bail. Yeah. So it's like once you get into a marriage mm-hmm. and then your partner's like, you know, forces you to like feel or you know a lot of times it's like you don't feel any emotions you don't care about me and really that person inside does Mm -hmm. but they have no clue how to express it so that's they have no attachment to that yeah Uh, (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's really interesting so as we are talking about kind of the ways that this manifests right Mm mm-hmm And you started to hit on this with Mm -hmm. talking about couples and maybe I can talk about this a little bit with how we interact with like youth Mm -hmm. um, and kids is what it looks like to foster earned attachment, right? Mm -hmm. Um, We don't really call it that with younger kids because we see them as still quite Uh malleable. So we don't really call it like earned attachment because we don't see it as something that's already cemented. Um, I don't know what age you have to be at for us to decide that now it's earned and now it's Mm -hmm. fostered. But especially when, again, like most attachment stuff, according to science, um, happens in the first 18 months of your life. But one thing that works really, really well 
um, if you're trying to care for a young person and be that supportive person who's able to be like, yeah, we're good, uh-huh. right? Um, particularly in young people who have less emotional articulation in some ways and also much bigger emotional articulation uh-huh. in other ways. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyone who knows a 15-year-old is like right in line with me. Um, one thing that works really well with teenagers is reflective tone and body language. Mm-hmm. Uh, it also works really well with adults, mm-hmm. um, but with adults, it's a little... Adults are going to notice in a different way if you're getting into more, like, therapeutic strategies with them, and they might be mad at you for it. So, like, be thoughtful mm-hmm. about what you're doing, because I don't want any of y'all to come off as manipulative. But with teenagers, a thing that I remember the first time I was talking to a kiddo who was diagnosed with PPD... BPD, there we go, who's diagnosed with BPD, mm-hmm. and she was crying about something that she just, like, needed me to see her, mm-hmm. right? She's needed to be seen. Right. And this is my really big thing with kids and teenagers, and I may have talked about this already because I always talk about this, which is if a kid is asking for attention, it's because they need attention. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, we often utilize this strategy with kids and teenagers where we're like, well, they just want attention, so ignore them, which is right. a wild thing to do. Uh-huh. They need attention. They don't need the attention necessarily the way they're asking for it. That's everything mm-hmm. we're talking about it. Right. With attachment, right? Mm-hmm. Um, right yeah. We all ask for attention, maybe not in the ways we need it. Right. I'm texting you a million times a day, right? That's not, right? I don't actually need you to respond to all my text messages. I need you to tell me we're good, right? Right, yeah. But this is huge with teenagers particularly. We actively and intentionally start ignoring them mm-hmm. because we think they're being dramatic or whatever. So this happens all the time with especially young women mm-hmm. diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. Um, so I was working with this gal and she was crying in the hallway cause her pencil broke. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and I was talking to her like and, they do. and I just kind of slowly started to like smile and I got down on the ground with her and right? she slumped into the ground. So I got on the ground and kind of was like meeting the like volume that she was doing. And then I kind of slowly like led her into being in a like more up emotional space. And mm-hmm. I remember being like, huh. That was weird. That worked. Um, and then I started paying attention. And it's like, this works a lot with people because what she wanted was for me to see that she was upset. But she doesn't want to stay upset. Sometimes right. we say that also about kids. Like, they just want to be upset right now. Right. Like, people don't want to be upset. Uh-huh. They want to feel validated. Right. And if yeah. they don't feel validated, if you're just trying to rush them out of their emotions, they're not going to feel validated. Right. And so they're going to dig their feet into that mm-hmm. space. Right? Um that's a different thing than they want to be upset. Mm-hmm. These are the things that drive me crazy in the way people talk about teens. Um, mm-hmm. And I just noticed that, and it's it's something I still do, right? Of mm-hmm. like, we mimic body language, or we mimic tone, or I meet someone with whatever emotional expression mm-hmm. they're giving off, right? Mm-hmm. Somebody doesn't tell me something, and I go, that must have been the worst day of your life. Right. I'm not assuming that. It's whatever right. day it was for you, right? right I don't yeah. know what the worst day of your uh-huh. life was, because... I've made that mistake and someone's come back at me with like, no, this was the worst day of my life. And now we're having a whole new conversation. Um, So just in there's the like Christianese, like meet people where they're at. Mm -hmm. But if you really embody that idea a little Mm -hmm. bit more, it can do a lot for particularly people with anxious, ambivalent attachment because they're so used to being the person putting that energy in. There's Mm -hmm. so much validation that happens in 
someone else catching and responding to their emotions as they're happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is uh, what creates secure attachment between parents and children. Yeah. Is parents mirror, right? And you naturally yeah. do that with babies. You like Especially they make babies a f- that look like you. Yes, right. <laughs> they make a face, you make the same face back. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they're crying and then you make a sad face. Yeah. And part of what that does is it, one, it lets them know like you're here. And this is actually the whole reason we want connection. Yeah. Is because we want someone to help us uh, manage our emotions. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I need my parent there because they're going to help soothe me when I'm upset. Yeah. And one of the ways that we soothe is actually by reflecting back that we get it, that yeah. we see the emotion. And actually sometimes being like, oh, I'm sorry, honey, like in a like kind of placating way yeah. doesn't actually like meet the need that we want, right? Yeah, because, I mean, sometimes, right, if someone hurt my feelings, mm-hmm. I want them to apologize to me. Right, yeah. Right? Um, if If... I feel like they did something. But, I mean, again, right. another great example. I think teenagers are such an amazing example because mm-hmm. in some ways they're just articulate babies. <laughs> <laughs> right? They're a baby who can just say what they mean, right? right. Um, one thing that I I always make a point to, I think that we don't apologize to kids enough, right? Mm-hmm. I think that that's a flaw in the way we do mm-hmm. generational relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't apologize to kids enough because we as adults totally screw up. And how are they right. ever supposed to learn to be people who apologize if we don't do it? Mm-hmm. That's a sidebar. But uh, one of the other things I have noticed in working with teenagers is I one of the first things I do is if a kid is upset, I apologize to them. Mm-hmm. And I say, I am so sorry. Was there something I did that I could do different next time? Right? We have mm-hmm. this conversation. And I've had a lot of kids be like, you didn't upset me. I'm pissed about this other thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Which, A, apologizing and giving them the space to tell you makes a big difference there. But also kind of hits on this idea of we assume that what somebody needs is for me to make it better. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's so much of life that doesn't get made better. Right. Right. To get into the, like, theological end of things, we live in a very broken and Mm -hmm. fallen world. And things are going to be broken and fallen. Mm -hmm. And we can't. Fix that by putting a Band-Aid on a kid's knee. It's still important to put a Band-Aid on a kid's knee if they're bleeding. That doesn't um, undercut the importance of being responsive adults um, or caring partners. Right. But we have something deep down in us that says, I know that this isn't the way things are meant to be. And sometimes we just need someone to sit in that mud with us. Mm -hmm. And there's so much attachment, growth, and healing that can happen just in someone being like, yeah, this is all really screwed up mm-hmm. and I, and I feel you and I see you. Right. Yeah. I think we, we skipped over it earlier, but we got to oh, yeah. talk about the ambivalent part. Why is it oh, called yeah. ambivalent? Yes. Ambivalent. Mm-hmm. Um, ambivalent is interesting to me because I always associate with drug and alcohol counseling, which I don't mm. know what the rates of people who use drugs and alcohol, um, improperly, uh, who have ambivalent attachment style, but often like behaviorally it will show up that way. Um, mm-hmm. cause there's, a, I want this, I don't want this. Right. I want you here. I don't want you here. Uh-huh. Um, and I think those are the behaviors and you can correct me if I'm wrong, that start to show up more as we get older in, well, no, because they did that in the studies. So yeah, what yeah. happened in the study is like <laughs> the kid is, the infant is really upset that yeah. mom is left, right? And like presumably yep. is going to be happy when she comes back. She comes back, kid still cries, pushes against mom, kicks her, 
right? And it's like, I desperately need you. But then there's also these behaviors that are saying, I don't even know if it's get away from me as much as it is like I'm really mad at you. Yeah. Right? There's this anger and resentment. Man, and if that isn't real when it comes to, um, like, relating as an adult with that of, like, people talk about this with, like, (laughs) when you haven't seen someone in a while who you're close to for whatever reason, Uh like, people inevitably, like, having a fight when their partner comes back from, Mm -hmm. like, a business trip for a week, right? Right, Because it's like, I needed you, and it's this base feeling, right? I needed you here, and you weren't here. Right, and Um, I'm... I'm I'm compelled to interact with that information. right. Right? To either do, like, hyper, hyper Mm people-pleasing, I'm going to make everything awesome and perfect. Well, and I think this is often why things blow up, right? It's like, I'm going to make everything perfect, Right. right? And then anything you do that's not responsive to that just has me feeling super crappy because I've created all of these behaviors I need you to respond to instead mm-hmm. of responding to me. Right. right. Yeah. And that anger is also a protest. Mm-hmm. It's saying, I'm really mad that you're not here because mm-hmm. I need you so badly. Yeah. And I, and who, like, we don't actually know because infants don't think. Yeah. They just have, <laughs> they these, don't think. They have these feelings. They have no and, thoughts. Right. They, they just act. But it's it's sort of like I'm mad I'm mad that you weren't here. I'm mad that I can't rely on you. And I think a little bit of like I'm mad that I need you so much. Yeah. Right. That might be a little more of an adult complex emotion <laughs> right, that you're ascribing true. to babies. Yes. Um but that's a real one, right? Of like right. I don't and again, especially like with cultural stuff of like I don't I don't want to feel this way. And right. I can think if I didn't need you, I wouldn't feel this way. So now I'm mad at you. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. I was mad at me and now I'm right. mad at you. Yeah. I was mad at me. So I had to try to change all my behaviors and mm-hmm. then that didn't fix anything. So now I'm mad at you because you must be the problem. Right. Yeah. Um, but I still want you. I don't want you to leave me. So help me if I yell at you and then you say you're going to leave me. Right. Like right. that. I whew, mm-hmm. Right. Of like what I want is <laughs> to not deal with you. But all I need is. To be near you. Right, yeah. Um, yeah, That right. push-pull. Mm-hmm. Um, that can get really intense the more stressed we are right. and therefore bouncing back to our attachment strategies. Yeah. Right? And, yeah, and I think a big part of it too is uh, I'm resentful of how hard it is to stay connected to you. Yeah. I'm, re- mm. I'm angry that I have to spend all of this work trying to keep you close. I wish you would just stay close. Mm-hmm. Do we find that a lot of um, anxious attachment style people partner with avoidant attachment style people? Is that yes. very common? Uh-huh, yeah. Okay, the, it's no. called the anxious avoidant trap. <laughs> that uh, that holds up. Yeah. Um, and, right. <laughs> because just thinking about um, the way we continue to play out situations, mm-hmm. right? We talk about this with domestic violence cycles, for example, um, of someone will finally leave someone um, who's been mistreating them, and then they'll go out and they'll find someone who treats them the exact same way initially but hasn't harmed them right. um, in hopes that it'll be different because we want the behaviors that we choose to work. Um, We Mm -hmm. want to not feel unworthy, right? Or unlovable. And Mm -hmm. this experience told us that. So we're going to kind of repeat the situation Mm -hmm. to see if we 
can do it. Um, right. And, and therefore, we, we foster our own ambivalence, um, which I think yeah. is the, the trap a lot of adults get caught in, right? Mm-hmm. It's the same thing with avoidant. Um, is we, we foster our own experience. We, we right. get this whole pile of evidence to prove that this is the way things are, this is the way things work, um, because we keep acting out these strategies when we hit moments of stress. Right, yeah, definitely. This is an Area Code Podcast.